0: I'm Mel Kettle, and you're listening to This Connected Life, the show where connected leaders share their experience, values, and strategies that have helped them become more connectable so they achieve success in life and business. My guest today is Lara Bourguignon. And I have to confess, I did ask her how I needed to pronounce her name, and she gave me a very cute response that I will get her to repeat in a moment. But before we do that, Lara is the CEO of Super Concepts, and she was appointed to that role in April this year. The reason I wanted Lara as a guest is for two reasons. One, we are a client of Super Concepts, so full disclosure there. But also when she started the role, she sent an email out to all of her clients saying, hi, I'm Lara, I'm new to the job, this is what we're planning on doing and if you have any questions or you'd like to know more here's my personal email address now for me that was unheard of as for something a ceo to do and i was immediately intrigued so we'd met and got on and i said come to my show and she said yes so that was a very long-winded way of saying welcome lara and it's so lovely to have you here today thank you so much for inviting me now it's lovely to be here you're in Sydney, I believe, in your office at the moment? Yes, I am. I'm actually
1: up on the 17th floor in a quiet room, but have just noticed that I do appear to be in a corner where cars like to accelerate onto the freeway. So um, I apologise in advance if you hear some V8 engines revving in the background.
0: That is no problem. I'm at my co-working space and there's people walking up and down And I can hear that, I think the beer taps have just been turned on because I can hear some clinking. (laughs) Excellent. Well, that's where I'd rather be. (laughs) Uh, It's only three o'clock here, so (laughs) not quite ready for that yet. So what does connection mean to you? Connection to me means that I've
1: interacted with someone in more than a transactional way. So I might give you a personal example and then I'll share a professional one. But I've been quite amazed. My local Coles supermarket, I don't know whether they've been doing some customer service training there, but the last couple of visits I've had... Exchanges with the most delightful 16 and 17 year old men who are tellers there on the weekend or or check out people there on the weekend. And they have been really, really chatty and they've been talking to, they've been telling me where they go to school, what they're doing at school, whether they're doing their final exams this year, what they're thinking about doing at uni. And given how long it takes to scan all of my groceries, I have a household that seems to go through them in enormous quantities. It makes that sort of five minutes or so that I'm standing there really quite enjoyable. And it's funny because given how many people that I would engage with, different service providers and you know, buying your coffee in the morning, buying your lunch, you know, what have you, I want to use the word relationship. The relationship I've developed with these couple of young kids up at the local coals feels much deeper than those transactions that I have on a day to day basis where we don't share anything. And so it's more than just the transaction of scanning my groceries. We have connected over something that is of interest to them and to me. So I think in a work context, it can be as simple as asking someone about their weekend, about their children, about their sports, remembering little special interests that they might have. And I just find that by doing that You create a connection that is deeper than just the transaction that you're embarking on with that individual. And the next time you see them, if you can actually remember what it was that you spoke to them about, I've found that people are genuinely surprised and it provides a really fantastic foundation for an ongoing connected relationship.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I absolutely agree with you. When I was at uni, I worked at David Jones in Canberra for five years on and off. And it was the customers that I saw, you know, semi-frequently, not as often as if I'd been in a supermarket, but it was the customers who asked me, you know, questions that indicated they had a genuine interest in who I was and what I was studying. And then they'd come back and they'd say, how was your exam? Or how was that assignment that you were worried about? Or how are things with this person that you talked to me about, it just made it so much more enjoyable to be at work. Oh. But it also, you know, I'm sure they came back again and again and spent more money than they otherwise would have because we had this more than just a casual relationship.
1: I completely agree. And I bet you would have gone above and beyond in the event that they had an issue with something. Oh, absolutely. Um, because they had- done that too. And especially these days where everything is so digital, we crave that. The differentiator in a retail experience now is that the interaction you have with a person. And so it's a big opportunity to get it right. and, And it's really noticeable when people get it wrong.
0: I absolutely agree. I loved those customers that would show a genuine interest in who I was and what I was up to, especially because when I moved to Canberra, I had you know, it was away from my family, it was away from my friends, and it took a while to start to build new trusted relationships. So anybody who was kind to me, I'm just like, I love you, thank you. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) So you said you had a professional example as well that you wanted to share about connection.
1: Well, it was, I think, just referring there to asking people that you work with it, you know, about their interests outside of work, or it could be a special project that they are working on at work, or a, you know, a special initiative or something that is just near and dear to their heart. I'm a big believer about bringing your whole self to work, and again, something that can be really transactional around, you know, can I get that report, or can I get an update on where this project's at? Again, I just find if you can create a connection with someone that is a little bit broader than just that immediate thing that you're after. You know, over time you build a much deeper relationship in a professional sense with with your colleagues at work.
0: Yeah, I really agree. And I think it's so easy these days to be able to find out things about the people you work with because everybody in an office usually has at least one personal item on their desk. And so you can ask about that. Absolutely. And If you don't want to talk about work, there's always questions you can ask about somebody's personal life that, you know, will encourage conversation in some way.
1: Oh, absolutely. Actually, Mel, you remind me, um, one of the gentlemen who works with me here at Super Concepts in Sydney has a suitcase, a very large suitcase, next to his desk every Tuesday, and I sort of jokingly said to him one day, "You know, it's where you hide when everything's not going well." And he shared with me that actually, no, he goes to the Baker's Delights up in at Central on his way home on Tuesdays and picks up all of their leftover bread and takes it to a shelter near where he lives. And you know, again, it was just something that that started as a you know a little bit of a joke, given he had his suitcase next to his desk but um, to then you know find something that he was so passionate about and also being able you know to share with the rest of our team how purpose-driven he is and and how you know he's making a difference I think was a great example too of just starting those conversations and finding a connection.
0: I teared up when you told me that
1: (laughs) that's just such a
0: beautiful story and not something you would probably ever have guessed.
1: No, indeed. Indeed. I thought at best he might be off for a holiday at the end of the day or, or you know, not um, not that, that he was filling it full of bread once yeah. a week. So um, it was a fantastic story, very inspiring. I love that.
0: And has that had an impact on his colleagues?
1: Oh, absolutely. Unsurprisingly, this gentleman is also part of the Lunchtime Running Club um, he brings in cupcakes from time to time to raise money for different causes um, and so, you know, he is one of those very connected individuals from a relationships perspective, you know, those people in an office that, that are kind of the, the pulse of the office, I would say that he's definitely one of those people.
0: That's great. Now, as I mentioned in my introduction, when you first started at at Superconcepts, you emailed everybody and very generously gave your personal work email to everybody who received that email. And I'm guessing there were thousands of people who it was sent to. What was the response you had from that? It was fantastic, Mel,
1: and I must say it took my team completely by surprise because we, we prepared that communication obviously as a way of introducing myself, um, but it was it, it was kept quite. Um, there were only a few people um, who helped me. Um, Prepare the email and send it out to our clients. And I was inundated. I was very fortunate actually that it was the week before the after long weekend. Um, and so I had four days at home to read them all. I probably got three or four hundred responses, and I, I still get responses now actually um, if something has happened and people have, have saved um, my email so that they could use it if they needed to. It's an invaluable exercise because. I got some great feedback on where things were going well and where we had loyal customers who've been with us for many years. They often mentioned their client service manager, so it helped me in identifying who our talent was quickly. Um, it also helped me be really clear on what things that we shouldn't be changing that were were really part of our core client value proposition. And then equally, I got quite a few emails with some constructive feedback for me. And that was, I guess, just really accelerated my ability to get across what wasn't working so well and where we might have had pockets that required a bit more attention. So my takeout from the exercise was that it was a wonderful, wonderful way to get such fabulous feedback in a very short period of time as a new CEO in the organisation. But what also... I found incredibly reassuring as a, as a human um, was our client's generosity of spirit. I responded to all of the emails that I got, that I received, and I certainly, some of them I needed to go and do some further research on, and, and so I sort of went back with a response to say, hey, let me look into this and I'll come back to you. Had some wonderful people here in the business who really dropped everything to help me get to the bottom of some of the... The issues that were raised through those emails. But it was quite remarkable how over the course of a few emails with some of the crankier customers that we had, how by the end of that exchange they said to me, Thank you for listening and thank you for actioning. And I've now got confidence and I'm happy to kind of, you know, stay with the organization and support you in what happens from here. And I found that get generosity of spirit there through a couple of short exchanges really had a big impact on the relationship that we had with those clients. And so I would strongly recommend um, it as an activity for anyone new in a role. I don't think you necessarily need to be the CEO, but if you have an opportunity to talk to clients early in your tenure in a new role, I think it gives you just some fantastic opportunities to get feedback, but also to engage with them.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. One of the things that I've done with a couple of clients recently who are either new-ish CEOs or new to fairly senior roles has been to work with them to help them understand who they need to build relationships with and the quickest way of doing that through varying forms of communication and what do they need to say and how do they need to say it and what do they need to be aware of when it comes to listening and observing so that they've got the maximum opportunity of building strong relationships in the shortest possible time frame yeah absolutely and the thing that they've all said as well reiterates what you've said go out there with a spirit of generosity and share your contact details and but then ask questions and listen to the answers and work with them to provide a solution if there is a problem and be gracious to everybody who's responded regardless of what the tone of the response is because that shows that you care.
1: Yes, absolutely. I agree with everything that you've just said. I I think it is someone taught me a long time ago that feedback is a gift. If you don't know what's not working, then you can't fix it. And I think that you do have to go into it with that open mind and to be able to listen and understand what might be driving the feedback. So it was definitely a great way for me to start in the role
0: did you do anything similar to get to know your workforce and your staff?
1: I did. I embarked on what I called my listening tour. So it, I was quite fortunate. Starting in April, I had three months through to our June board meeting, which is when we generally propose the three-year strategy for our board to endorse. And so I... Told all of my team all of our workforce that I was going to spend the first month listening and seeking their feedback again on what was working and what they thought we should be doing better and which initiatives were, you know, I should be prioritizing. I then spent the second month synthesizing, so asking deeper questions, starting to package themes together and I tested those themes back with our people and then the third month I sort of crystallized it into a okay well this is what we're going to focus on
0: predominantly for the next
1: 12 months it fell under the banner of a three-year strategy but it was really focused heavily on the next 12 months in terms of the growth agenda for the business Um, our people risk and and financial plans. So it fit really snugly into that three-month period. Obviously, I continue to listen now um, and I'm always talking to the team. But I think being deliberate and calling it a listening tour actually gave the team that permission to really give me the feedback that they wanted to share. So the benefit of having done it, I thought it worked really well. Separately and also quite deliberately, I stole a Jack Welsh-ism about being really respectful of the past, realistic about today's challenges and optimistic about the future. And I think that's really important because I believe that most people come to work every day to do their best and to deliver to clients and to make the organisation better and and continue to evolve it. And they, they make the best decisions that they can with the information that they have at the time they have to make those decisions. So I think when you arrive in a new role it can be quite easy to criticise your predecessors and start to say, well, look, everything was rubbish and now I'm here and we're going to fix it all. And I think that that's quite uncool and I also think it's quite disengaging because the people who are still here often understand the rationale for the decisions that were made. They were often party to the decisions that were made. And if you go into that listening tour with a mindset of, okay, We've done all of these things for really good reason. With the benefit of hindsight, some of them didn't deliver, some of them over-delivered, but let's look at the facts as we have them now and think about the way forward. I thought that really helped me to also delve deeper into why some things were really good and why some things were really bad because I wanted to understand the history as well as the current state.
0: Mm. I think as well, if you go into a new role and you blame your predecessor for all the bad things, tacitly, you're also blaming all of the people who were still working there. That's right. (laughs) Leadership is not something that's done in isolation. And CEOs and senior leaders might make the decisions, but they don't make them on their own in most cases. So by blaming the past CEO or the past leadership team, you're also actually laying the blame at everybody else in your organisation. And how's that going to help you build strong and constructive relationships to move forward?
1: I completely agree, Mel. And I also, I mean, I had the benefit also of of knowing a number of members of the previous leadership team, and I hold them all in incredibly high regard. Um, They're very, very competent, capable, charismatic leaders. And so it was really important that I dug in to understand why some decisions that I thought that they absolutely would have made with the best information that they had at the time, what exactly didn't quite play out the way they had intended. Um, so it just it heightened my sensitivity a little bit, I guess, to the questions that I was asking and how I was listening.
0: Yeah. But even if you didn't hold them in high regard, why would you risk your reputation by bitching about other people. Like, what does that make you look like? That's exactly (laughs) right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I always think about that when I see other people publicly criticising their predecessors or other people in their team. And I just think, man, you're not doing yourself any favours with that line of public comment. Right. It's like gossip, isn't
1: it? You think, oh gosh, if you're gossiping with me, it means you're gossiping
0: with other people about me. (laughs) So I don't know. Exactly. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Mm. My grandmother had lots of little expressions and one of them was around gossip and I can't remember what the exact wording was, but it was basically just that. If you gossip with other people or if they instigate the gossip with you, then imagine what they're saying about you behind your back and just be careful of what you say to them because you don't want to get a reputation that you can't then reverse. Indeed. Are there any hard things about being a CEO? This is your first CEO role, isn't it?
1: Yes, I've done one role before that was a a managing director role of an business, so but it it was quite different to, to this role. The hardest thing for me so far is that I've just I take my responsibility to our stakeholders very seriously. And whether it's our people or our clients or our shareholder, I take it pretty personally when I can't fix everything that needs to be fixed straight away. I'm learning very quickly that I am impatient, but to really drive sustainable change, you need to be patient and you need to prioritise and you need to support our people to really address certain things sequentially and not try and do everything all at once. And all of that, I should say, in the context of protecting what's working really well and having engaged people. So I just constantly need to remind myself that change takes time and it doesn't mean that I'm doing or that we're doing the wrong things, that we just need to make sure that we stay the course and that we don't get distracted. That's been one thing. I think the other thing that I massively underestimated was the work that you can generate if you casually ask someone to look at something. <laughs> um, I am an early adopter and I can go to a conference or I can be listening to a podcast or something and I'll, I'll walk in and, and sort of walk past someone and say, have we ever thought about doing blah? And then I find out sort of two weeks later that everyone dropped everything to start researching blah when really it was me just having a little thought bubble. And so I have learnt to make sure that I tell all of my team to catch me when I'm doing that and particularly to ask me if I'm serious, if it's more important than something else, and to make sure that I don't kick off a whole lot of activity that is distracting from the things that we had already agreed were our
0: priorities. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I've just realised we haven't actually told our listeners what super concepts is or what you do. So, very bad interviewing technique from me to not ask that question, but. Can you just give a 30-second overview of the services you provide? (laughs) (laughs) Of course, Mel. So
1: we are a self-managed superannuation fund uh, administrator, software provider and education provider. So we look after about 50,000 clients, really helping them look after their superannuation and retirement savings.
0: I've said to you before, we have a self-managed fund, which is how we met. And Sean, my husband, manages the bulk of that for us and he loves your dashboard, which I know I've told you before, but you just (laughs) get so so excited about it.
1: (laughs) It's so wonderful to hear because I think that the interesting thing about self-managed super funds is that we have direct trustees like you and Sean Mel, who are very Engaged and wanting to manage the funds themselves. We also have a lot of financial advisors and accountants who we are providing the back office service for them to in turn service their clients. So it's a constant balancing act of having the right amount of information for a direct trustee versus an intermediated client who, you know, where the financial advisor might want to be the one adding all of that value with us not providing so much of it directly.
0: One of the things I know you're really passionate about is helping women become more financially fit and more financially aware of their day-to-day finances, but also what's in their super. What are a couple of things that you think women in particular need to think about when it comes to money, both today and for their future through their super? It's a great question, Mel, and I actually wrote
1: an article a couple of years ago um, likening financial fitness to our physical fitness because I don't know too many women who couldn't tell you how they might go about either losing weight or, or participating in some sort of a sporting event, and yet we don't apply those same mindset to our financial fitness. So in this article, I likened looking after your finances to being like running a marathon. So the the first thing I would encourage all women to do is to set a goal about being financially fit. And that um, is a bit like saying, I'd, I'd like to run a marathon. The next thing that women need to do is to Go and start to understand all of their current financial position. And what's interesting is is that women quite often manage the day-to-day cash flow in the household, but when it comes to the big assets and investments, it, it often sits with their partner. It's not a long stretch to be able to sit across all of that information, but again, it's just understanding all of the different components of your financial wellness, superannuation, insurance, investments, cash flow just to name a few there. Then it's about seek chunking it down, let's say chunking it down and really sort of picking uh, whether one thing a week or a month or a quarter and really just making sure that you understand it and that's where getting some help is often quite handy. So just like you wouldn't necessarily run a marathon without seeing a personal trainer or a physio or a podiatrist about getting the right shoes. When you're looking at your financial fitness, it could be your accountant, it could be an advisor, it could be a trusted friend, it could be the contact centre for your different service providers. But ask the question, most of those different providers will have education that they can they can help you with and certainly various levels of advice. And then I guess the, the second part of chunking it down is just to make sure that you're really confident and comfortable with where you're at and just sort of, well, I guess, almost package up those different components so that you can then get to the end of the, the period you've set yourself to become financially fit and have a good view of your wellness and, and any ongoing actions that you want to take or or whether once you're in that position you can just really focus on other aspects of your life knowing that these things will just keep growing or, or bubbling in the background.
0: I like that. Like you I think it's so important that we all have an understanding of what's happening to our money whether it's men or women but as you said traditionally men manage the big stuff and women often know. I read a really interesting article, and I think it was on Medium last year that talked about how all women from as soon as they leave home should have an emergency bank account with $5,000 in it, just in case you need to leave the situation that you're in. And the article talked about how no woman should be forced to stay in a situation, whether it was a job or a less than ideal relationship or something else, because of not having enough money. So it really encouraged women to just think about how can they put even a few dollars away a week every week until they can get to a level of money in an account that will give them freedom and choice if they find themselves in a difficult spot. Absolutely and
1: there there really is a plethora of research on superannuation as well but women retire with significantly less superannuation than their male counterparts and that's Generally, because we've left the workforce for a period of five to 10 years, during the time where often promotions and pay rises come through. So you're either coming back to the workforce on a lower salary than your male counterparts or in a part-time capacity. And those, you know, superannuation very much works on the theory of compounding as well. Just you're contributing to it from when you're young and that just continues to grow. So the, the balance, once it's lower, it's really hard to catch up. So there are some really deliberate things that women can do to help top their superannuation balance up and a number of providers are looking at alternative ways of really addressing the gap because we all want to be able to live a comfortable retirement and and we've been saving for it through super all of our lives and we want to make sure that, that women are achieving their goals
0: just as much as men are through that system. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I was reading something else that said the fastest growing Category of people in Australia who are becoming homeless is women over the age of 60. And that absolutely blew my mind because I know from things I see on Twitter and elsewhere on social media, so many older women are in such difficult financial situations because of not having enough super or because of unexpected divorce in their 50s or or older and not having the money to get adequate legal representation and potentially not being eligible for legal aid because they've got too much money for that, but not enough to hire a good lawyer and just being really screwed over. And it's quite heartbreaking to hear those stories. It is, absolutely. Um, So just before we wrap up, I've got a couple of final questions. And one of them, I guess, is what's one thing we should all be doing when it comes to managing our super? Uh, Know where it is um, would be the first thing because a lot of Australians have more than one superannuation account.
1: Uh It could be from being at uni and your David Jones account in your example, Mel.
0: I think I had five at one stage and now I have two. Excellent. Well,
1: that's great. So, So know where it is, understand how it's invested. There is a wonderful benefit through your superannuation around insurance. So it's really important to understand what insurance you have available through your superannuation and to make sure that it's the right level because if you don't need it then you can remove that insurance and obviously that that helps contribute to, to your balance and also understand what fees that you're paying. So just a couple of things there that once you've done that then you can really just sit back and let it grow while you're living your life.
0: Yeah, I think the other thing we try and do is put the maximum contribution we can in every year if we've got the money to do that. And that's making a big difference as well. Absolutely. Certainly, um, we could talk for hours on
1: this, Mel, but there are certainly spouse contributions and, and all sorts of things that you can be doing to increase your balance each year. But like I said, it's probably a
0: podcast all of its own. Yeah. If you have any good resources for that, I'm happy to share them in the show notes if there's anything that you can shoot me through. And I'll put a link to your article as well that you... um wrote a few years ago on Becoming Financially Fit because that was a great article. A lot of that resonated with me. Fantastic. Thank you. So just finally, are there any particular books or podcasts that have really impacted you? either in your role as CEO or career so far or in how you think about money? Yes, there are. I was a little bit late to the
1: podcast party, I have to say, but I just did September, so I'm catching up quickly. I listened to a wonderful interview yesterday between Rachel Griffiths and Mia Friedman about Rachel's new movie Ride Like a Girl. I don't know if you have seen it yet.
0: I have not, and I love her. I have loved her ever since Muriel's wedding. Exactly. Well, I'm still yet to see it, but I definitely will. But what really impacted
1: me, Rachel talked about how girls whose fathers have told them that they could do anything seem to have a leg up in realising their potential over girls who didn't. And it impacted me because I think just like you, Mel, we've been very fortunate to have fathers who, who did and continue to back us unconditionally. And I'm really, really grateful for that. So it's kind of, I think, a probably a personal impactful from a personal and a professional perspective. I, Also read a book recently called Extreme Trust by Don Peppers and Martha Rogers, and that really resonated with me, particularly working in financial services. I thought that was a really fantastic
0: book and gave me lots of food for thought. Mm, Thanks. I'll have to get a copy of that. Are you reading anything now? Well, I'm reading a book at the moment called The Power
1: by Naomi Alderman for my book club. So part of me being the best I can be at work is making sure that I um, commit to my passions outside of work, one of which is reading and I found that I wasn't doing that so I very fortunately joined a book club with my lovely neighbours and now I have a book to read every six weeks that is generally fiction although every now and again we do a non-fiction book but I'm halfway through the power. It's very interesting Um I'm not sure about what my rating will be at the end of it, um, but yeah, I do love reading, and, and I particularly love fiction because I think it just provides a little bit of escapism and just also helps me um, unwind at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, I love that. I'm a big reader as well. Mm-hmm. One of my past guests, Steph Clark, has a podcast called Steph's Business Books where she reviews a business book every week to 10 days that she's read. Fantastic. Pop the link in the show notes and I'll send it to you. Absolutely. To have a look at. Yeah, I was yeah. I've been subscribing to Blinkist for a while and I would strongly recommend that. Um, Blinkist is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And um, uh, what's everything I was going to say? something else about books and it's totally escaped me. So if it comes back to me, I will let people know. Oh, Chat 10 Looks 3, the podcast, Chat 10 Looks 3. Yes. If you um, haven't discovered that yet, there's lots of book talk, lots of food talk and lots of TV and movie talk. Fantastic. I have downloaded one, but I think I'm not sure it's the right one, but um, I'll keep trying. I'll send you the link to that too. It's fantastic. The latest episode, they talk about a few books that I immediately reserved from the library and One of them has obviously had the benefit of the Chat 10 Looks 3 community because I'm number 108 on the reserve list. Oh, wow. So um, if I don't have it before I go on holidays in December, I'm just going to go and buy a copy.
1: (laughs) Oh, fantastic. I can't wait.
0: So, where can people find you if they'd like to connect with you or find out more about Super Concepts?
1: Um, well, I'm very happy, Mel, if you'd like to put my email address in the show notes. Alternatively, I am on LinkedIn. I must admit, I just can't get the Twitter thing happening, but I am on LinkedIn.
0: Great. And I'll pop the website for Super Concepts in there as well in case people want to know more about the services that you provide. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was fantastic. I loved our conversation and look forward to catching up with you for a glass of wine in hopefully not too distant future. Excellent. And just before we close, Mel, I think that you mentioned
1: in the opening my catchy little jingle for remembering how to spell my surname. So I, do. I feel like I need to close that yes. out for you. Okay. And the way that I taught our children to spell our surname, and I've used it with a couple of adults in recent times, is using the song from the Mickey Mouse show, which goes something like, B-O-U-R-G-U-I-G-N-O-N, that's me. And so it's really, (laughs) for such a mouthful of a surname, it just breaks it down into something that is much more digestible.
0: I love that. How long did it take you to learn how to spell it and say it after you married your husband?
1: Oh, well, actually, I can still remember the first time I ever saw it. He had a much adored dog when we first met who was had some tablets and it was one of those old fashioned sort of tall plastic bottles. And the surname sort of just kept going the whole way around the bottle and, <laughs> you know, and then some. And I just remember looking at it thinking, good grief, what is your surname? So it wasn't too long. I, I wish I had a French accent, actually. It sounds so much more, oh, it's beautifully pronounced with a French accent, um, but, uh, yeah, it wasn't too bad. I think beef bourguignon definitely helped me and helps others work out how to say it.
0: That's funny. I have a friend who has a an equally difficult to pronounce surname and it wasn't until she'd been married to her husband and taken his name for about 5 years that her mother-in-law told her she'd been pronouncing it incorrectly the oh, entire no. time. <laughs> oh, sometimes you just you, you've just got to commit, haven't you? And know, I know. You know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Anyway, on that note, I'll say thank you very much again and uh, look forward to catching up again hopefully in the not too distant future. Oh my pleasure, Mel. Thanks so much for having me. Well that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you really liked what you heard, please. Please leave me a review on iTunes or a recommendation on LinkedIn or both. The show notes are all on the website melkettle.com forward slash podcast. And I'd love you to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. You'll find me at melkettle. See you next time and stay connected. Bye.